Father, we thank you for this weekend. You've taken us from shame, guilt, pain, unforgiveness, and now you're leading us, a few of us who are willing to go, to this area of reconciliation. Father, I know it's easier to forgive someone than to be reconciled with them. It's easier to put that in a little compartment in your mind to say, yeah, I forgave them, but Lord, you take us to this place of reconciliation. So Father, just be with us today, open our hearts, enlarge the place of our tent that we might be able to go there by your leading in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, I shared with you my story uh, about my daughter. And, um, you know, the greatest reconciliation we can have in life is with Jesus Christ, right? But for me, the second greatest reconciliation I had is with my daughter. And so, you know, she just lives about a mile from here. And so I just had to invite her. So, wait a hills and valleys and hills and valleys and her parents yesterday celebrated their 59th wedding anniversary. I mean, who stays married that long? They have to be born again. So Linda, you got to just say a few things. Good things about me, of course. Well, first of all, thank you so much for letting me come. This has been really a blessing. I haven't been here, and this is a reconciliation for me. It's very emotional. I haven't been here in 10 years. So it's, it's wonderful to be here. I'm just curious how many of you noticed me walking in because I walk just like her. <laughs> we both had the same duck walk. I'm curious how many people knew that it was me. A lot of, I noticed you guys were like doing a double take, but you know, I honestly, I don't know what she shared. (laughs) I'm assuming (laughs) it's the Little Lost Lamb story. What? (laughs) Yeah, Little Lost Lamb story. (laughs) The baby, little baby lost baby in the Moses. Yeah, Moses. Moses in the basket. Moses in the basket. (laughs) You know, it's been when growing up, um, honestly, I don't know what she shared, but growing up, one of my biggest um, dreams was I was going to meet the, the unfaced woman, you know. And I always knew I had two sisters. I would walk home from school, and I would dream that one day she'd be there. Yeah. So the day, the day she was there was, I would envision just opening the door. And one day she was there, and... We've been in each other's lives for longer than we were out, and it's we've had some, like any family, just hills and valleys, and but the hills are wonderful, and uh, we've we have done some major reconciliation in our relationship, not just bonding, you know, just as family, but you know through the struggles that we've shared um, as a family. And as friends, you know, we've come through so much. And truly, it is only the Lord that breaks down those barriers 
of anger and wanting to be right and wanting it your way and just being here today. I was just sitting there thinking, you know, I wish, you know, maybe one time I could have been here five years ago, but today was the day. So, thank you. So true. You know, God will perfect that which concerneth me. But it doesn't mean that everything's always going to be perfect, ladies. You know, those hills are wonderful. The valleys is where the growth is, right? You know, that's where the soil is. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, I know some of you are afraid to go there. But let, let remember what I said. Let's just take what? One step. If we just do one step. It, okay, what? Oh, Kleenex. It's going to get worse. <laughs> Listen, guys, we're, Jesus is coming back. And, and the one thing he wants is when we go up, when we go up in the rapture or if we go sooner, the one thing he wants is he doesn't want us taking this stuff with us. You know, uh, there was a reason why Adam and Eve were naked in the, in the garden because they, didn't, they weren't encumbered by a lot of this stuff. The Lord wants to take us up, freed up from this. We can't take it to heaven anyway. So please, just will you crack, crack the door a bit on that person, that situation, that pain, that hurt? Will you, just, will you just crack the door a bit and let a little light go in right now? I know it's hard. Listen, I've been there. But you know what? When you fling open that door and let the light in, you know, there's various degrees of light, right? Right? There's various, but there's only one degree of darkness. When it's dark, it's just dark. So, but if you just let a little light in, it'll, it will, I'm digressing, okay. Okay. When I was a teenager, and you've heard a lot about my mom and my situation growing up, but my mother allowed me to wear her engagement ring. Now, I love this ring. I was fascinated with this ring ever since I was a child. It had three. Um, her, she was born in December, so it had her birthstone in it, blue zircons. And I love this ring because my dad bought it in the Middle East. And my dad was in the Middle East most of my early life. And he would send home things like swords and little carpets and things. And I was very enamored with the whole Middle East situation, but he brought this ring home for my mom, and I always loved it, and I would always look at it, and I always wanted it. And she let me wear it. She finally just gave in to my begging, and she let me wear it. And I remember going down to the jeweler because her hand, she, listen, my mom was a big German woman, and she, she had big hands. Well, oh, there they are. <laughs> but I took that ring, and I, and I had it sized. I had it sized for my little tiny hand. Well, I don't know when it happened, sometime between, I don't know, 14 or I don't know, 15, something like that. The ring was gone. I lost the ring. And I remember it disappeared, and I remember tearing that sofa apart in our living room. I had to find that ring, but I never found it, and I finally had to tell my mom that I had lost the ring. So I figured out a way that I was going to do this, so what I did is I blamed her. Right? I mean, surely this was her fault. I was a child. Why would she give me such a, 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 an expensive ring? 
I said, Mom, this is your fault. You should have never given me this ring. I was just too immature to have this ring, and now it's gone, and it's your fault. Well, you know, we went back and forth on that issue for a long time, but basically, really, the hurt was with me. That ring was gone. And I remember years later when my mom died, I remember looking at my hand and and, and envisioning that ring on my hand. I thought about this ring all the time. I remember driving home for work and looking at my hand and going, I want that ring on my hand, and someday I want that ring back. And I would just look at my hand and think, where is that ring? I want it back. Well, when my, my mother died, of course, my dad got remarried, and when he died, we sold his house. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to scour through that house to find that ring. I think I know where it is. I think it's under the staircase. I told you about the staircase. That's... The cement staircase? Well, sure. Remember the cement staircase? Yeah, where I buried the dead body? I wanted to go under the staircase because I knew the ring was under there because as a little girl, I would play marbles under that staircase. And I couldn't, obviously couldn't fit under there anymore, so I took one of my granddaughters and I said, I want you to see if you can find that ring. I was obsessed with finding this ring. And so I said, I said, is, is the ring under there? And I heard her scream. She goes, Mimi, Mimi, you'll never guess. And I go, what? Because I remember I used to play marbles under there. And I said, did you find my ring? She goes, no, but I found your marbles. <laughs> and even though I wanted those marbles, and I still have those marbles in a jar today. Because, you know, I use them for a little game that I play. Guess how many marbles in the jar, baby showers and things? Those were my marbles. But the ring wasn't there. And I knew then when we sold the house that that ring was gone. Well, and I wanted that ring because I loved it. And because, remember, Linda was born in December. Her mother was born is born, has been, was born in December. Their, her mother... And her birthday are, what, two days apart? Two days apart. And my mother's birthday is in December. And I wanted to give that ring to her after I had found out that, I, well, I knew when she was born, but to find out her mother was born in December, it made it extra special for me to find that ring. Well, years ago, I'm sitting in church, and every time I went to a class reunion, it was like, do you have my mom's ring? I would, and people would say, don't ask me about your mom's ring anymore. We don't, we're, we're tired of hearing about it. And I got a little tap on the shoulder, and it was my friend from junior high school. And she goes, do you remember me, Terry? I, we were best friends in junior high. Oh, Terry, how are you? She goes, yeah, I'm a Christian now. I said, oh, you know, you know, I'm so glad that she goes, can I sit with you today? And I said, oh, yeah. And here we are getting ready to worship just like we did, you know, today. And she looks at me, and she goes, is this your mom's ring? <laughs> That's just how it happened. And I said, I said, yes. And I said, where was it? I, I, every time I saw you, I was always, she goes, I know, I know, you were always asking about that ring. And I said, well, how did you get it? She said, you loaned it to my sister, uh, Annette. And I remembered, I was probably 14 years old, we had switched rings. I said, oh, I remember that now. That ring, I, that ring was a black onyx ring with a diamond in it. She goes, yeah. She goes, well, you gave that ring back, but your, Annette never gave your, your ring back to you. And I took that ring, and I put it on my finger. I fit about right. 
well, it fit about where my fingernail starts. <laughs> and I looked at that ring and I thought, I cannot believe that God is so concerned about lost things. Now, here's this ring. And I would give it to you today, Linda, but I want it. <laughs> huh? What? I'll die when I die. I'll, you can have it, it all to yourself. <laughs> God is con- concerned about lost things all the time, looking back, all that searching, blaming my mother. And she would look at me, blaming me. Don't we just blame one another for these stupid things? Well, it really was her fault, but it really was my fault too. You know, we need to look at both sides of the story. God restored the ring to me, the rightful owner. And there's stories in the Bible about a woman who lost, remember she lost the coin? And it said she took her candle and she swept and swept and swept till she found it. I told you the story about the 99 sheep and one, the one that was lost. There she is. And what, what does it say? Bring that one home so you can rejoice with your neighbors. See, God cares about things that are lost. He cares about that. He cares about things and our foolish mistakes. Does God care about what happened to you when you were a little girl? Yeah. God cares about that. Does he care about that you've lost your job? He cares about that. That maybe your husband is unsaved or he's been unfaithful. He cares about that. That maybe your children are in major rebellion and you're just going, what's that all about? Raise them in the ways of the Lord. What happened? Maybe you've lost your home or you've lost some friends this year. Or maybe your husband's died. I talked to a few of you last night that your husbands have passed away this last year. Tough, tough stuff. Maybe you were left alone and you're going, I, you know, I just don't know what to do. But God is going to use it for the good. And you're going, I don't see any good coming out of this. But we've shared all weekend about how God will use things for the good. He's seeking to use it. And there's a scripture uh, that uh, is in, where is this scripture? And I didn't write down the scripture. I'll just read the scripture because it's in the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody help me with your little Bible uh, thing. I don't know why I didn't write it down. But um, it says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and then he gave to us this ministry of reconciliation. In fact, that scripture is in 1 Corinthians 2 Corinthians 5:17. He has given us when we came to Christ, he reconciled us to Christ, but then he says that he has put us also in the ministry of reconciliation. Now, that's a Romans 8.28 scripture for sure, right? He's going to use it all to the good, but he can't use it to the good unless we're reconciled, right? You see, Jesus put us in the ministry the second we got saved. You didn't think that, but, but that's what this verse says. You've been saved, and now you're in the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled us as sinners. He paid the price of redemption for us to also be in the ministry with him. After 40 years as a pastor's wife, I can tell you that God loves reconciliation. 
God loves to restore broken things. He loves to restore broken branches. He loves reconciliation. But what does that word actually mean, the word? Well, it means many different things. It means to bring something that was separated back together again. It means to restore harmony in that situation. So he can bring something back together, but there has to be harmony. You have to settle the dispute. Settle. Let it go. You have to restore and resolve differences. You have to submit or accept something. Talked to one of you the other day that you just found out you have cancer. You'll have to accept that. You're going to have to resolve that. That that's, that's a truth in your life, and you're going to have to deal with the treatments of that. As I said, maybe something unpleasant has, has happened to you, and you're so caught up in the shock of it all that you're unable to accept or resolve that, that your husband was unfaithful, that maybe your daughter's pregnant and lost a four-year scholarship to a college that you wanted her to go to so badly, but it's gone, and you can't get it back. You have to resolve those things. See, it's a financial term to reconcile. It's like a checkbook where two people have to come up with the same answer, exactly the same answer. We have to reconcile this checkbook. It's a financial accounting word. Balance the books for accuracy so that we can be used for a purpose. See, as we mature and we grow up, we reconcile to the fact that we don't think the way we used to, right? Remember, my, remember burning my bra? I wouldn't do that today. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Come a long way from the 34 AAA. <laughs> we think differently as we get older. We come to realize that the way we used to think was wrong, was maybe foolish. I remember when I was first married, Jeff would come home at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, this was the days of the Yardley commercials. You remember those so you, those of you, remember those Yardley commercials, those girls from England? And they would come up on their roller skates with their long braids and that white lipstick. Well, I had to have some Yardley white lipstick. Who remembers Yardley white lipstick? Oh, thank you. Well, Jeff would come home from work at 3 o'clock, and I would brush my hair, and I would put on that Yardley white lipstick and, just, and kiss him at the door. Well, it was very waxy, if you remember. <laughs> didn't taste very good. And you know what? It didn't really look good. It made you look like you were dead. And, and I would always see Jeff going, you know. And I go, he goes, you know what? I really don't like that lipstick. What? I wanted to look like the Yardley girls, you know, on the skate with the long braids. But you know what? I was wrong. Now, that's a dumb, silly Example, but, but you know what? It just shows that I thought that that's what he liked, and he didn't like it at all. We come to realize the ways we used to think were wrong. Maybe, let's take it from 1 to 100, maybe we were very harsh in some of the things we did. Foolish, maybe, silly, but maybe we were hurtful, too. And that's immature. See, reconciliation takes maturity. Reconciliation just takes maturity. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, it says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Sometimes we just think differently when we're in an immature situation. It's okay to say you're wrong. It's just okay. 
I was wrong. I, I, used to th- I used to think that. I don't think that way anymore. And I'm sorry if how I thought and how I believed and who I was hurt you. But that's who I was then. Sometimes you just got to let these things go. Reconciliation, like I said, is not for the immature thinker. Now, some time ago, some friends that had moved away from Downey, we met up again. And uh, I had had some issues with these people, really, actually. But, you know, I was willing to meet with them, and we were talking as couples, and we were laughing, actually, about some of the stuff we used to do. And we were recalling some of the memories and our kids growing up together. And, you know, these were dear friends, but, you know, we did some foolish stuff. But after about 20 minutes, I saw some old patterns in their life. And I saw how they were thinking and how they were reasoning and talking about even how they remembered some of the issues that we had gone through. And after about an hour, I kind of gave Jeff the look, you know, the look, you know. And uh, we figured out that these folks were stuck in the 70s. They'd never matured. There was no growth in their lives. They were still blaming. They were still holding other people responsible for their problems. And maybe that was true, but they didn't progress any further along the path. Their minds were skewed. I mean skewed. And they were stuck. And they were very weak in the things of the Lord. They were not Acts 2.42 Christians. Fellowship, prayer, communion, and the word. And as Christians, we can get stuck. I'm talking to Christians now. We get stuck. And we get stuck in this area of relationships. That's our biggest stuck in the mud, is relationships with friends and families, with church relationships. I was with a young pastor's wife the other day, and I said, how's it going in your church? I mean, a brand new young church. She goes, you don't care, and I just love being a pastor's wife. It's just the people I don't like. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Sometimes it's hard. See, it's relationships that are hard. It started in the garden with Adam, uh, with Cain and Abel. Well, actually, Adam and Eve. We already got. Now they had these two kids, jealous of each other, and one commits murder. Jeff always says, "Hey, you know, there's trouble in the force," because we see this a lot. And not, you know, sometimes. And ladies, let me just interject this: pray for your pastors' wives. Pray. You guys, you have no idea what we go through. It's just the craziest thing. And ladies, that, that gal I couldn't pray for this morning that was down here with her daughter, you know, I, I had to get dressed. I just could not come down here. to. Do, but I will talk to you after the retreat if you want to pray. It was just timing. It was just timing. But we, we're under enormous pressure. Our kids are under terrible enormous pressure because of the expectations that people put on pastor's kids. It's just unbelievable the things that pressure that they put on kids. little sideline. But some of you have been hurt very deeply by friends and family, and there's a pain. Maybe the pain is gone, but the scar still burns. Like when you have a cesarean. I had a friend that had a cesarean, and she said that every time she did the dishes and she would go up to the sink, the scar would touch the sink. And she said, ooh, I just, I just can't handle it. It's the scar that hurts. Everything's healed and everything's taken care of but my scar hurts every time I touch it she actually had to go and have the scar removed it hurt her so badly just to have the scar touched the nerves were right there reminding her 
Some of you can relate to that. You see, David said in Psalms 41.9, Even my close friend in whom I trusted and ate bread with has lifted his heel against me. Do you know that there are some commentators that believe that David is saying that about Jonathan? Yes, Jonathan. There's, who would be his closest friend? You know, who, who would have done that? That he would write such a, a painful statement, my closest friend who I ate bread with turned his heel against me. That's a lot of pain. King David said that. Even Christians hurt each other. We really, you know, we're good at it. You've heard the old saying, we shoot our wounded? Yeah, we shoot the wounded and drag them (laughs) behind the car with ropes. And we spin them around and laugh. Yeah, we do that. Because we think we're right. We hurt each other. We turn disagreements from a pout. I always tell Jeff when he does something weird, he goes, oh, I suppose you're mad at me. I go, ha, it's worth a pout. I want to pout. Might take a few hours, but I'm going to pout. But when you take a pout to the next step, you start turning away. You start getting angry. You start, you start the movie. You know the movie? You play it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. That's what they did. And pretty soon the movie's in black and white, and now it's in color, and now it's on a huge screen. And you get angry, and then hatred starts. Bitterness and separation. good example of this is Jacob and Esau. They were brothers, twin brothers. They got in a big mess with each other. They were fighting with each other in the womb. In Genesis, it talks about how they were fighting with each other. And when they were born, they... They were each their parents, one of their parents' favorite. Now, Jacob, who was sort of a mild guy, he um, was his mother's favorite. But Esau was hairy and ruddy and, and red hairy and, you know, just a hairy big guy. And he was his father's favorite. This caused problems in the home. Because this was a family that was highly dysfunctional. <gasps> what? One of the matriarchs and patriarchs? Yes. Read the Bible. This was a highly dysfunctional family. I relate. (laughs) This family, there was a lot of deception, lies, tricks, things going on, threatenings. Their marriage wasn't doing too well, Rebecca and Isaac. This was a family that was part of the messianic line all the way to Christ. You know the story, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, we know that. This is, these, are, these are the patriarchs and the matriarchs. And this family was in torment. However, after 20 years, and you know the story of how they separated, 20 years later, Esau, remember, he wanted to kill Jacob. He was going to kill Jacob. That's why Jacob took off. They both matured now. They're both men. They're both married. They have children. And they've had time to think about it. You know, we were brothers. We were twins. We were twin brothers. And they started to think about what was really important. What's really important? Family. Family's important, guys. Would these men lay down their weapons of self? Would they give down their right to be right and let it go? Well, Esau, the one that was hurt the most, that got ripped off the most, in Genesis 33, verses 4 through 7, it says that 
they're coming to meet each other. They finally decided they were going to meet. Jacob's, read the story, Jacob is sweating. <laughs> He's, he goes, oh my gosh, this guy's going to kill me. Because remember, he was kind of the mild-mannered type of guy. Esau was the big buff guy. And Esau saw they're coming toward each other, it says. But it says this, Esau ran to meet Jacob, embraced him, fell on his neck, kissed him, and wept. That's what Esau did to Jacob. And all that Jacob did to him and all that pain, you know, Esau just, he let it go. See, there's more to forgiveness. There's more to forgiveness. We, we need to go to reconciliation. Now, when I read that, did that remind you of another story in, in the New Testament? Prodigal son, yeah, in Luke fifteen twenty, Jacob and Esau did not have the need to work it out. They just let it go. They saw each other. They didn't want to dredge it all up again. You, it, you can tell from the word. They didn't. They didn't dredge it up again. What was past and past was past. Now, Jacob says Esau to Esau in Genesis 33, 8, I have gifts I want to give to you, Esau. Let me give you these gifts. I have sheep, gifts, food. And you know what Esau said? I have enough. And Jacob said, no, 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 ja no, no, Esau, take these things. And Esau said, no, I want you to take my things. And Jacob said, no, I, I have enough. I have enough. They both had enough. They both were blessed. Now, in Hebrew, the word uh, enough is maspeak. And really what it means is stop, stop, no more, let it go, it's enough. Now that's just enough of that, it's just enough, let it go. And I believe God is asking us today, do you have an issue with a person? Have you had enough? Have you had enough? There's a dear lady in our church that a few years ago, I just found out, has a sister that lives in Downey and has lived there her whole life. And we were in the cafe, and she said, yeah, I have a sister. And I go, what? You have a sister? She, she said, we're, we're in our church for many years. And I said, an older gal, about 79. I said, what? I never knew you had a sister. She goes, yeah, I have a sister that lives right here in Downey. I go, well, how come I've never met her? Well, we, we haven't spoken for probably 30, 40 years. I said, why? She goes, she took grandma's dishes. I said, you've got to be kidding. You haven't spoken to your sister for this long because of dishes? She goes, that's right. I said, man, those must be some dishes. <laughs> really? And this is a gal who's been in ministry with me, and we work together. I never knew she had a sister. Live right there in Downey. There's very few situations where reconciliation cannot happen. There's rare cases, though, where there's child abuse, and there's serious cases of abuse, and maybe the person is already dead. But you know what? You still can have shalom and peace with somebody that's passed on. You can let it go. Remember what we talked about? Unforgiveness is the poison that we pour and we drink ourselves. So don't hate the dead person. 
It's not hurting them. It's only hurting you. It only hurts me. God is asking us to, be, to go beyond forgiving and maintaining a cold, cordial relationship with that person. Now, we're real good at this, especially at Christmas time and get-togethers. We get together, and there they are. You've got to gird up. You go, oh, gosh, I'm going to have to be, just be cordial, just be cordial. Dr. Laura said, just be cordial, just be cordial. <laughs> and you're just going, I'm, tr- I'm trying to be cordial. You know what? I, I cannot be cordial. <laughs> Everybody knows. Have I ever been cordial? I can't pull it off. They know when I'm doing it because there's something just in me that just, it's hard to be cordial. Now, Nancy Reagan, the former first lady and former actress, she was an actress before she married Ronald, she, she was known for being kind and cordial. Even when she knew that there were other heads of state who hated her husband, Ronald Reagan, she was always in control, dressed to the nines and cordial. But behind the scenes, it just came out that she just hated some of those people. But you know what? She never showed that she had such feelings for these people. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? That is a good trait to have. However, do you want to just be cordial? Do you want to just act warm and gracious? Sometimes we have to, but you know, I think for myself, when I do that, the wall of bitterness gets stronger. I think when I have to pretend like I like you when I know in my heart I don't, I think it makes my bitterness grow worse towards you. So cordial is okay sometimes, I think. But if you've got real issues with someone, I think cordial can be a sin because it causes you to be something and to act phony. And I think it builds the wall stronger. Every time you fake, it's stronger. I know about this firsthand. I had a person in my life that I hated. I could not think one happy or good thought toward this person. And you know what? It got out of control. It went from a pout to a dent to dink to dent. And then God said, now that's just enough of that. (laughs) And he really dealt with me really harshly on that one. I'm not going there again. We can be all together like Nancy Reagan, prim and proper. Or we can be like Golda Meir. Anybody remember what she looked like? Yeah. yeah. She was a tough old bird. From Mel, teacher from Milwaukee, the former prime minister of Israel. This is what she said about her enemies. There will be peace in the Middle East when the Arabs love their own children more than they hate ours. Ooh. Do you love your own children more than you hate that person? You won't let your kids go over and see grandma? You won't let your cousins play together? You keep people apart? There'll be peace in the Middle East when the Arabs love their own children more than they hate ours. Wow, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? You see, sometimes it's easier to forgive than to reconcile. To reconcile means you've got to meet. There has to be a meeting of the mind. And I'm not saying that you have to reconcile to the point where if that person has really, really hurt you and they continue to abuse you, there is a point where the reconciliation is that you just realize you have to let this go, that they're not going to change. Sometimes they're not going to change their behavior. 
And there's a different type of reconciliation for that. I, I do believe in necessary endings. I do believe that there are some situations where there are necessary endings. When that person will not budge, they will not let this go. And especially in cases of abuse, you have to just go, I'm just going to give this to the Lord, but it's not going to tear me up. And I'm, I'm taking the movie and I'm going to throw it in the trash. I'm not going to play that movie one more time. But it'll try in the middle of the night. You know, you'll set up the projector and you'll put it on. Just shut your thought gate. I'm not going there anymore. Again, after 40 years in the ministry, I have to say that I have been to many deathbed situations. Most of the time, i got to tell you, it's the sweetest thing I've ever seen where there's so much forgiveness going on. Now, I want you to think about that person you really would like to rip their head off and think about if they're really dying in front of you right now. Some of you got some real anger against your mom and dad, your kids, maybe brothers and sisters. But if they were dying right in front of you right now and they said, will you please forgive me, would you do that? I've been to deathbed situations where there's just so much love. There's hugs and kisses and blessings. Why did it take the deathbed to get there? Well, because we're so stubborn. We're so stubborn. We just want to be right. It took grandma's dishes or whatever it is. Why did we waste so much time? One of the sweetest ladies in my church who died of cancer, her name was Ruby, she was such a sweet lady from Texas, and oh, what a Texas accent that woman had. And when she was dying of cancer, I went to see her, and it was real hard for me because she was completely bald and just, oh, just she was dying, very close to death, throwing up black bile. She couldn't stop. It was just, she goes, I'm sorry, Karen. I go, don't worry about it, Ruby. It's okay. And I would just take it and... and, and get rid of it and she was doing it the whole time we were talking she couldn't help it she was dying and I said oh Ruby did you get reconciled with your son she goes you know as best as I could I said your house is filled with dolls and plates and she goes I know Karen and you know what the day after my I die my son is going to take all this stuff and he's going to go put it out on the front lawn and he's going to sell it in a garage sale and I said, well, what can I do for you today? She said, nothing. I'm just going to wait here till the Lord comes to get me. I said, well, hold on a minute. And I went out in the yard, and I picked her some flowers. I took some Kleenex and made her a veil. I said, well, if Jesus is coming, I want you to be the bride of Christ here. I said, let's cover that bald head of yours. I gave her some flowers, spitting up black. I said, oh, Ruby, don't you know in God's eyes you're the most beautiful woman that he's ever seen? That smell of cancer that is just so bad is a perfume to him. He comes in the room and goes, mmm, my bride's getting ready to come home. And she died a few days later, and her son did exactly that. He put all that stuff on the front lawn and sold it. Several years ago, I received a long letter from a friend of mine who had hurt me so bad, slandered me, left the church in a huff, and she was asking me to forgive her, and she told me that I actually was the best friend that she ever had before or after we had this problem. 
And she called and said, I want you to forgive me. I'm asking for your forgiveness. And I, I, what could I say? I said, well, sure, you know, I forgive you. But there is one thing I really would like to know. Why did you do that? Why did you do that to me? We were friends. She goes, because I thought I was right. I thought it was right. And I didn't understand. We had been separated for 25 years over this craziness. What I didn't know is that she was dying of cancer. And she left the church around 50, I think she was 50 years old, maybe a little older. She started smoking. And she smoked for 25 years. And she was dying of lung cancer. And she knew she was dying and she wanted to get things right with me. And I remember telling Jeff, I said, oh, if, if she only would have done this maybe 10 years ago because I was, I, I was over it. And Jeff said, no, Karen, she had to do this for her. It wasn't about you. She's getting ready to go be with the Lord, and she was lightening her load. And you forgiving her just took one more burden off of her, her, her journey to go be with the Lord. It's important. It was important to her that she reconciled with me. It was a process that she was going through. You see, Satan lies to us and tells us, if we forgive, then they got away with it. That's right. If I forgive them, then that says to them, what you did to me was okay. And that's a lie. Because it wasn't okay but we can still forgive them and let it go. See, it's a process that we have to work through, whether they get it or not. And guys, sometimes they're never going to get it. Sometimes they're never going to figure it out, that it was, Mom, you shouldn't have given me the ring, but Karen, you shouldn't have lost it. Hey, we were both right, right? You don't give a ring that you love like that to a 13-year-old girl. You don't do that because 13-year-old girls are foolish. But then I should have respected and taken care of what, what I was given. We were both right. We have to let it go. If we forgive, we let it go. One of the sayings that my husband says all the time, all the time, I'm going to have to frame it and put it in a frame, is God keeps good books. God keeps good books. He's good at this area of reconciliation. He keeps good books. In Ephesians 2.14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility. Ooh, I like that. I don't like that wall. Colossians 1.20 says, And through him to reconcile, we are reconciled to him all things, whether things are on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, that was shed on the cross. See, if we would just get in that shadow of the cross and say, Lord, will you just cover me with that blood? You will see through that blood forgiveness to that person. But you've got to be in a state where God can do that. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says, God is not counting men's sins against them, but he has committed to, his, to, his, to us this message of reconciliation. God is not counting men's sins against them, but he has committed to us this ministry of reconciliation. 
in Hebrew must speak. Enough. That's just enough of that. We're just not going to go there anymore. Just don't bring that up again. i got to bury that dead cat. I'm just not going to pet that dead cat anymore. It's not coming back to life. It's done. And until the Lord comes, he's going to keep asking us over and over and over again, will you please just let this go? And I pray, ladies, as you go home, because this retreat has been just unreal for me. I have never at any retreat ever done the personal ministry that I've ever, at any retreat, this has been the most I have ever worked at a retreat. And you know what? God is doing some tremendous things in all of us. Don't think that when you've been talking to me and telling me what you've been going through, that God hasn't been going Are you listening to what they're saying? That's you. Now, I'm telling you all these wonderful things, and God's going, are you listening to this? These arrows were coming straight at me. So I had to do some things last night also before the Lord. But you know what? I'm not going home with it. And I pray that you don't either. And as we go into communion, if you haven't dealt with this, this is the perfect time to do it. So God bless you, and uh, I hope I see you again. Well, I will in heaven. Thank you.